That's a good I'm in the middle of a bustling office. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, Caitlin. Chris, how are you? Good, good. Uh, exciting to see uh, Venus in a final and Federer win. Uh, although happy for Moogs. Happy for Moogs. I was really pleased that she pulled it together, especially after her sort of shaky year post-French Open last year. I'm a huge fan of her game, and I think she's kind of the future. And I like the way that she handled that French Open getting booed out by the crowd yeah. business, where she kind of shook her finger at them and got both emotional and tough in the press conference afterward. Yep. So she's cool. She contains multitudes, and I think she's interesting. <laughs> and she can wear the hell out of a Alexander McQueen dress. So, yeah, you know, bananas, huh? I mean, I, total. Do you think there's kind of like a mental block about winning your second major? Like, do you feel like because there are a lot of people that have just won one? I feel like. And, yeah, and um, it kind of makes sense. I feel like it's meaningful. Yeah, I feel like when Stan won the second, I was like, all right, all right. Like, it's maybe it's just like not it, it, their place in history, but just their place in my personal history, which doesn't mean much, but uh, but it seems like it means something. Well, I feel like you can do anything once and you can just bottle some kind of magic for a two week period and be like, what happened? I right. just won my first Grand Slam. But then everyone asking you questions and you get treated like a contender, actually. And then it's not only meeting expectations, but figuring out what combination of events that's probably not replicable right. combined to let you do it the first time. So I feel like, that, yeah, the second one seems to be a major thing. Yeah, and I think I think if there's a chance that the draw could open up for you once, but the chance that the draw opening up for you twice is like a lot smaller, right? So you can get through, I mean, sort of like Federer did, uh, without having to play any of the big guys once in a while, but not usually. This Wimbledon final on the women's side was great for half of a match, right. and the men's yeah. was great for none of the match. Yeah, I was yeah. as happy as anybody else to see Fed win it, but it was I, I actually felt bad for Chillage. He played great. I was expecting a match. I thought he actually could beat Fed, I think which so. he has yeah. in the past. It was a downer. I mean, speaking of only winning one major, like you realize how hard it is to win majors because he played so well. And yeah, I think it would have been a tight match no matter what. And I think even at the start of the tournament, Federer talked about how well Chillage was playing. And I think some of the, the comparisons between him and Del Potro like, are fair. They're like a little obvious. But it is trouble beating huge guys who can hit down on the ball, you know? Yeah, for sure, especially on grass, especially who have enormous serves. One thing that we have to keep in mind is Federer did not have to play Nadal or Murray or Djokovic. Right. Right? Yep. Burdick is not— But he owns not him. Nobody. Yeah, he owns But, him. yeah, Federer, that's a one-sided yeah. sort of affair, usually. Although Burdick played well enough to push that to four, for sure. He played very well, I thought. Yeah, he played great for Burdick. But he's also, you know, sort of a perennial semifinalist. I know yeah. he's made all final, but I, I love him, though. I kind of like his mechanical—he kind of looks like a cyborg to me yeah. in all of the <laughs> ways. I feel like if they were going to cast a tennis player to be the robot in Aliens, like right. they did Michael Fassbender, yeah. he's the Michael Fassbender <laughs> of the tour. What about, like, a really good-natured Drago? I feel like that's also who he is. That's kind of more Robin Soderling to me. Maybe it's because they're both oh. Swedish. I don't okay. know. <laughs> All right. Speaking okay. of, Robin Soderling is back and he's coaching uh, juniors. Did you know that? I did not know that. Great to have him back. He was like a goofy, fun guy. Yeah. I don't know if anybody has ever called him a goofy, fun guy before. He's like a dour, not fun guy, I think. Really? Okay. But I, All right. but I, I could be wrong. Maybe I've seen one fun interview and also, like, I think fair to cut him some slack given, like, how horrible the end of his career was like how many years how many good years were taken away from him you know yeah for sure and yeah. at his peak he beat Nadal on clay and Federer on grass in and of itself unbelievable and weird, um, he's weird coaching forehand, these two young yeah. super weird for him kind of yeah. like a swinging door yep <laughs> all right yeah it's great 
Yeah, I really liked him. So he's back. He has his own company of balls, Robin Soderling balls and um, strings, and I think grips. But he's also coaching these two young Ethiopian kids, the Imer brothers, Michael and Ilias, and they're like, cool. You know, junior U.S. Open finalists. They're really good. I saw them play actually last summer um, at the U.S. Open, and they're cool and Ethiopian Swedish, good dressers. They have interesting game. I'm super pumped for them. They're kind of <laughs> Gen Next, Next. Right. I had a I had one thought about Federer, um, even though there's not much to say about the match. Do you think he is the best non-servant volleyer volleyer in a long, long time? Like I, feel I don't like... even know what that means. I mean, I think he is a servant volleyer. I think the the game just didn't cooperate. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it, I mean, he's not like Patrick like Patrick Rafter, amazing volleyer, right? Like a uniquely talented. Uh, but Federer, he looks so like calm and Swiss when he's at net. Like his backhand's gone like a little Hollywood recently, but he looks like so. <laughs> it's so what clinical. What does that mean? So so clinical. Well, I mean, he just hits his backhand a hell of a lot harder. He, like really steps into it, and uh, it's almost not a weakness anymore. I, it's definitely not a weakness. I like that you call it gone Hollywood. Yeah, I actually <laughs> think. I mean, there was like a pretty great, um, a pretty great comparison of Federer at the start of his career and how the percentage of serve and volley points he played because he was playing the Sampras's and the Pat Rafters, and now the percentage of serve and volley points he plays because it was sort of resurfaced when he started working with Edberg, who was going to theoretically get him to come in more. Yeah, and like he played a ton of serve and volley points when he started on the tour. So I actually feel like yes, I take your larger point, which is that he looks incredible up there. But I do sort of contest the idea that he is not a servant volleyer because I think he is at heart. And I think he would be had the game sort of stayed the way it was when he came up in like the early 2000s, you know, because like also P.S. I would love that. I would love it because I think that that's the best kind of way to play tennis. Yeah, totally. OK, I guess the best is someone who's not an exclusive servant volleyer. Right. I mean, I feel like there's a distinction to be made between him and Rafter. Also, Edberg, maybe the weirdest forehand of all time. Super right? weird for him. Yeah. Super. In the conversation yeah. for, like, I would say Golbus somehow. <laughs> Golbus, less... I knew you were going to bring him up. Yeah, he, he looks like a gull wing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like, he's ho- It's horrible, but it works way better than Edberg's. Like, I think extra points from Edberg because it was a train wreck on the court. I feel like Golbus is, is like the karate kid. Yeah. <laughs> wax on, wax off. It's right. cool. It's, it's cool. ugly, though. Yeah. Yeah. If we're yeah. honest. Sure. Agreed. But still good. Better than boring. Better than boring. Nothing is worse than boring. Okay, so while we're still in Wimbledon, a, I have to issue a correction because in my – not only do I have to issue a correction, I feel like I have to apologize for my tone because when we were talking about Venus, you made the, turns out, correct point that she was, at the time we spoke, the only Wimbledon winner left in the draw. And I was like, whoa, 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 don't forget Victoria Azarenka, who's won one Wimbledon twice. Um, and a woman named Nicole Desplat on Twitter was like, you got to fact check. That's not true. She also said, I love your podcast, which is like a great way to criticize me. Like, sure. th- oh, thank you. But yes, now I'll hear your criticism. Um, Azarenka has not won Wimbledon. That was so dumb of me. Of course, she's won two Australians. Um, and not only that, but I was like, Chris, Chris, how could you possibly <laughs> sleep on Victoria Azarenka, the two-time Wimbledon winner, which none of that was true. Right. Um, maybe I just wanted her to win Wimbledon. And I think she probably should at some point, given the fact that she's like more of an all-quarter, certainly than other women who've won it. More than Venus, more than Muguruza. Although I was pumped to see Muguruza coming into the net. Yeah, you know. Yep. Well, you, you realize like 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 when you see Muguruza like get into the net, you realize like, oh, these are like incredible athletes. Where, <laughs> where it's like, if they apply themselves to literally anything, they're going to get really good at it. 
Yeah, I feel like one thing that they should 100% bring back, actually, this is the best idea we've ever had. Um, we should advocate that, like, NBC bring back Battle of the Network Stars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Yeah, sure. It'd be like, Farrah Fawcett does the hurdle. You know, the guy from Three's Company does the pole vault and stuff. I feel like we should bring that back with tennis players. Don't you think that'd be a crit? They would never do it because they would get super injured. But <laughs> I feel like it could be like a kind of off-year Olympics. Right, right. Like who you would know? be your who would be your like? Can can you think of who 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 you would match with? What sport? I feel like somebody who's like kind of small and wiry. You would want doing some of those um, kind of like jumping and tactile sports like fencing i bet nishikori would be a really good fencer because he's yeah. like fast on his feet and he's got good hands yeah. whereas like chillich or some of the taller dudes like del potro maybe you'd want them doing pole vault or the one that you have to high jump over uh-huh. you know what i mean sure because they're kind of like noodly right tomas burdick because he kind of is hot and looks like a sturdy cyborg i feel like he would do something very equestrian or swimming <laughs> because he looks like know? a horse kind of yeah yeah, totally. he does. Right, yeah. he's like a really mobile oak tree out there. Yeah. Right. Yes, I think uh, wh- uh, I have a I have a suggestion, which is Jill Simone doing darts. <laughs> every Nailed shot it. he hits is t- he replicates the same stroke no matter where the ball is every single time. I feel like Jill Simone kill darts it, kill it Done. at darts. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we sorted that out. Battle yes. of the Network Stars, Redux, right. ATP, well, WTA. Well, well, and also just getting back to the Azarenka thing, like I could have stood my ground a little more to to be fair, but I was like, in the moment, I was like, hang on, wait, am I? Have I totally misremembered Kvitova? Because I was like, she's definitely won it twice. Yeah. Um. So yes, fair. Well, enough. thank you, but sure. no, I will um not be so. I might. I'll definitely be wrong again, but I'll try not to be so smarmy about it. I feel like yeah. that's one thing I can control. Yeah, I'd really appreciate that. Um, yes, you're welcome. Um, okay. One more piece of feedback we got, actually. This is from Dan, who wrote me a very lovely note, a former college player uh, who now lives in the Midwest, who said that he was super intrigued to hear about Mary Pierce and what she's up to. And uh, he recognized that I was not in a position to start a conversation with her because I feel like, you know, she's just there chatting in the box. I'm not going to talk with – if anybody has not heard the last – episode i sat next to mary pierce watching alizé cornet play and she bought me on the head accidentally and then you know we exchanged pleasantries but other than that you know i just listened to her talk to the french tenorist federation in both french and then her assistant in english um and she's was super cool and super smart and very tall um and she does broadcasting for eurosport um but she also has a pretty interesting backstory so should we revisit that maybe at some point later on in the summer yeah let's do a uh Deeper dive on uh, Mary, Mary Pierce on a week where uh, the whatever hardcore t- t- tournament is up gets kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of bound to happen. We're yeah, sure. f- f- just to like sort of wayfind. Let's sort of take stock of where we are. We're a little more than halfway through the tennis season, and I think given the you know first hard courts, then clay, then grass. Now we're going back to hard. The hard really hasn't started yet. There's some sort of remnant grass and clay tournaments going on this week in like Bastad and Justad, which are not the same place. They're in two different countries as it turned out. Um, and there's a grass court uh, tournament up in Newport in Rhode Island. But essentially the hard court season really, really starts um, in another week. And yep. then it's going to be DC, uh, Cincinnati, Toronto, Montreal. There's a couple other ones sort of scattered around that are smaller, like Connecticut open and, um, New Haven, and then obviously it culminates in America and the U.S. Open, which is the very last week in August. So we have this big chunk of U.S. 
slash North American tennis coming up. But right now it's like a little bit quiet and we're kind of like taking stock and then pivoting towards the hardcore season. How do you feel about the hardcore season? I kind of don't like it if I'm honest, even though it affords me the easiest way to see tennis because it's so close. I like it. It just gets a little repetitive. Like I, yeah. I kind of like I can't stay locked in. Like I guess I stay locked into the Canadian ones for no good reason other than I've just had a chance to watch them a lot. And Miami, mm-hmm. that's up there. That's always a strong tournament, right? Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, out, outside that, I don't get into it as much. I think I will this time. I think it'll be interesting. It'll add some variety because I don't think Federer in any way is going to play all of them or maybe even most of them. Uh, he'll play enough to stay sharp. Um, and if Nadal wins a tor- tournament or two, it'll be interesting because they'll go into the U.S. Open as like prohibitive favorites to make the final, right? Which is bananas. And it's also, bananas. they, you know, obviously Nadal dominated clay, Federer obviously dominated grass. And then the last time they met on hard, it was anybody's match, really, which was the final of the Australian Open. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's actually going to be pretty climactic if they both go through and stay, you know, right. healthy for the tournament. And then on the women's side, I feel like, again, it's like anybody's game. Yeah, totally. In a good way. I actually totally like what's happening at the, in, at the top of the WTA. I feel like, you know, Carolina Pliskova, since the last time we talked has supplanted Angelique Kerber as the number one. Pliskova didn't, has not won a grand slam, but she's had a ton of really good results. Beat Serena last year at the US Open. She's a huge check with like pretty interesting tattoos on her legs and arms, which (laughs) I like, um, generally. Uh, but then she's also, you know, joined by Kvitova, who could do something great. Azarenka, as we talked about, Garbinia, Muguruza now, who's, you know, Ostapenka. Like, there's a bunch of, like, really interesting women in the top ten who I think are all really good and capable of winning, um, including Venus Williams, frankly, who's made now two Grand Slam finals this year, which is bananas because she's older than me. Yep, that's amazing. That must feel good, though. I mean, she's a, I'm a, a two years older than you, so I think she's uh, she's in the middle there. But that's amazing. Yeah. No, it's just like hats off to her. She played an incredible tournament. She was, for my money, ahead of the game in that final against Muguruza. Obviously had two set points in the first set. Like that set was amazing. Like super high quality tennis. They were neck and neck. Anybody could have won it. They were both playing really smart and all court. You know, and then I think Venus just kind of hit a wall and the second set was, you know, a blowout. But like for that first set, for the first hour, it was awesome. It was the best set of either final. Yeah. by about a mile, you know? Yeah. And so to me, like, oh, Venus. And Venus didn't play a bad match against Serena in the Australian. Mid-30s is no longer, like, mandatory retirement, but it is getting up there right. for sure. Right, and, and I mean, it's still pretty close to retirement for all but, like, the aliens that are at the top, top, top of the game, right? Yeah, anybody who's not, like, basically Roger Federer, which, you know, now that we've given an assessment and a preview of what has come and what is to come, can we talk about something bananas that's totally unrelated? Sure, go on. Boris Becker, actually, his Wimbledon run, watching it with my dad was one of the most seminal moments of my tennis, my young tennis viewing. And it's because huh. my dad is German and he was really into the Germans and Boris Becker's tongue and the inside out backhand volleys and the diving. Love Boris Becker, actually, yep. Yep. in spite of a lot. <laughs> There's a whole lot out there, but yeah, yeah, super duper uniquely fun to watch. Yep. So he's coached Djokovic. Now he's off the Djokovic team. They've kind of had some like pretty interesting back and forth. I mean, Djokovic is like a consummate professional, so he's never saying anything. But Boris Becker's like, yeah, Djokovic doesn't practice enough. I wish him the best, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, kind of like tweeting shade at him. Um, the other thing that has kept Boris in the headlines is that he's broke. You know, I don't want to kick a man when he's down for sure, but he's broke in the most interesting way ever. You go on. Gambling, certainly lifestyle. But that now also he invested in Nigerian oil firms. I know. <laughs> this guy blew a hundred some some estimate around one hundred and sixty seven million dollars. Uh, 
God, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when when you hear about that. You know, I mean, it's just like it's so much money, so much effort. This guy had, I think, a hip replacement or hip replacements from how he played. Like, like to 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 end up in that kind of shape and have nothing is ridiculous. And it also means though that we are going to see him on television forever, which is great because he's a it. great commentator. Right? Yeah, he's going right. to need a steady steady stream of income. But right. no, he's great, and his German accent. He says Wally without a uh, with a W, not a V. It's great. He does it for BBC mostly, so you can't really get in here. But he's amazing, and he's obviously like insightful and smart and funny and willing to throw but shade, like, which doesn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, this guy like impregnated cocktail waitresses. I believe there was a flight attendant. He's just like, I mean, he's. I loved your reaction when you we were talking about the latest explanation for Boris Becker's bankruptcy due to Nigerian oil speculation, which was what a life. This this guy has lived deeply and sometimes dumbly, but definitely deeply uh, through his whole life. We already knew he's broke. At least at this point, it's getting entertaining. You know what I mean? But, right. Sure. Right. He didn't like start a bunch of restaurants that 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 went under, or like, or maybe he did that too, um, or trust the wrong guy with his money. Although maybe that happened too. Like the big thing was like all in cliche scammed. I applaud him at this point because it's like, yeah, he's pretty dumb with money. We've known this now for a little bit, and he's a little bit reckless. But you know what? I mean, it's taking Bondian proportion. Maybe he <laughs> could be a character in that whole Daniel Craig series where, like, there was investment and there's oil and there's shady characters, and it's like somehow involving money manipulation on the international stock markets and planes exploding and parkour. You yep. know, this is like the kind of epic shit that Boris Becker, of course, gets into. It's not just like, oh yeah, my dad absconded with money. You know, uh, it's like, no, I'm gonna get. <laughs> wild with this well, and spread that... it around and like it, you lose it to a nigerian prince email scam you know like what totally also listeners sh- should know how often caitlin brings up james bond like super regularly off it's embarrassing <laughs> it's embarrassing well let's maybe we should end if boris okay. becker is like the sort of i don't want to say he's unwitting but he if he's like on the villainous side of a james bond movie but like kind of the financier side right who right. gets ultimately, you know, taken for a ride by someone more villainous? Like, yeah. how would you flesh out the rest of that cast? You know what I mean? Right. Yes. How would you do it? Because like, I... I feel like Gael Monfils, who you love talking about, who I also love, I feel like he would be a also ran in the CIA type, like maybe a Felix Leiter. I mean, I could see yeah. Monfils being like kind of a fun-loving attache. Right. Right. God, who else would it be? Todd Martin is like the FBI agent who's like too goody two shoes to get it done. Super square. <laughs> Super square. Yep. Yeah, like a pencil pusher in uh, suburban Virginia, right? Who no, like phones it in and like reluctantly gives them, you yeah. know, access to funds to like keep the mission alive. Exactly. We need right. someone sort right, of MI five, not FBI. Yeah, totally. Completely right. Yeah. Um, can we cast Bond as a woman just because just this is the world we're living in and now Doctor Who's a woman? Just because we have to uh, we we have to indulge your lefty political agenda? Sure. <laughs> let's do it. Well, do you have a better Bond suggestion? A better Bond suggestion? No, I don't. So let's You know uh, who would be great? Ahead. Dominica Sivilkova. That's who I'm going to say. Okay. Dominica Sivilkova is Bond. She helps track down the funds absconded by, let's say, Thomas Burdich with that belonged to Boris Becker okay. and brings them back to Todd Martin as the stuffy MI5 suit. <laughs> okay, I like Bob's it. your uncle, Bob's... James Bond number 67. <laughs> put and, it on the board. And Sybil Kova because she's like tough and hot? Is that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, she's like not really my kind of hot. I feel like she could take it to the streets and parkour and beat someone up, but then she could like takes famously elevator selfies where she and her model 
husband. I don't actually know if he's a model, but he should be. He's incredibly attractive. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like that. It's like a non-obvious choice, but totally into it. Under. Yeah, plus she's like Slovakia. I feel like everyone's like sort of underestimating them perennially. Yeah. Oh, wait. Uh, evil villain who's now in his probably 50s or 60s. So he, he could play like the king the kingpin. Peter Korda. Whoa, Peter right? Korda. Dutch. Yep. Uh, was he Dutch? Maybe. Angular? Yeah, definitely Angular. Not sure about Dutch. I think he might have been Eastern European. At any rate, I could totally see him as a villain. Well, I feel like we've done some good work here today. <laughs> I feel like we have. Uh, we've recapped Wimbledon, we've previewed the hardcore season, and most importantly, we've cast Battle of the Network Stars yep. and the next Bond film. Totally. All right, Caitlin, so next week, uh, maybe a deep dive on the fascinating uh, Mary, Mary Pierce who assaulted you at Wimbledon this year. It was an assault where uh, I might not be able to talk about it due to ongoing legal proceedings. <laughs> Lastly, uh-huh. uh, not to give too much away, but I love your idea of talking to a professional doubles player. So I'm working on getting yes. uh, someone who is an active player to talk about. Because one thing we should talk about, um, I have gotten very, very into wheelchair wheelchair tennis, and it joins my deep, longstanding love for doubles. Because as a double specialist, it was, um, you know, always my better uh, event. Doubles, doubles, doubles is amazing. The Grand Slams is really when it gets the time to shine, as is wheelchair tennis. Like, it's finally not just about the singles competition, and I right. feel like we should do both of those events justice. Uh, we've had an episode on wheelchair tennis, and now let's talk a little pro doubles. I think so, and I think uh, I think part of the inspiration for this was I was watching the, I think, mixed doubles final, and... Uh, the, the English commentator was like kind of going on a bit about the financial difficulties of playing doubles if you don't mm-hmm. play well at the majors. And I thought, yeah, that's right. She was saying like it's like $70,000 just in travel and coaching and all that. And it's sort of high stakes for them. Uh, not for Martina Hingis, but for probably just about everybody else. Yeah, for sure. Leander Pays and Martina Hingis, double specialists for decades, are fine. Everybody right. else, I think, is really you know, yeah, has to show up and do really well four times a year. Right. Also, how cute is Henry Continent and uh, the Heather Watson duo? I mean, what a what a, I mean, they ended up losing to Jamie Murray and uh, Martin Angus, as you, as you brought up, but they are my favorite doubles yeah. team. I love them. I love Heather Watson. She's such a fun player to watch. Yeah. Um, she's a little erratic, but she really like launches herself into her shots in a way that I love. Yeah. Um, and Continent just looks like a really cute Ken doll. So win win. All right, Caitlin. Have a good week. You too. Bye, Chris.